So this morning we're going to continue our series in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Um, and so uh, I hope you had a good week. And uh, last week we talked about the very end of chapter 9. And so I want to jump right into it. The last verse in chapter 9 says this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So that's where we left off last week. And this morning, we started off with a great celebration of baptism. And and you realize this, that each person who shared their story of faith with you, at some point, someone shared Jesus with them. Uh, Someone saw that as a ripe field for harvest and said, I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. I'm going to share Jesus with them. And so this week uh, we're jumping into chapter 10 and Jesus says it's time to send out those laborers that we've been praying for. And so uh, this morning I'm actually going to be working as a recruiter. Okay. Um, In fact, uh, let me show you this picture. I showed you this last week. And so I told my brothers I'm going to help solve their labor shortage. Okay. So I said, we're going to get people to sign up to go operate these heavy equipment, these big machines. All right. So who wants to go? I need to see a show of hands. All right. We got a handful of people. Now, how many of you have ever driven one of those? Okay. I got one, two, maybe. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. I might get a whole list of people who say, yeah, I want to do that. But if they don't know how to do that, my brothers would probably be pretty upset if I sent you all down there. Um, you know, last week we talked about that plentiful harvest and Jesus said, there's, there's a shortage of laborers to go out and gather in that harvest. And so this morning, what I want us to see is that he says to his disciples, last week he said, pray for laborers. Well, then he turns right around this week and says, go out, y'all are the laborers. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And I think a lot of times as we think about it, we might say, I, I don't know how to operate that. I, I think I could figure it out, but I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and Jesus says to us, I've given you everything you need to join me in the harvest. And so we want to look at that here in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. It says this, and he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of God of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not, if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15. 
so this morning I'm excited to talk about this on a celebration Sunday because we're celebrating what Jesus did in saving us, saving those who were just baptized. But the thing we have to realize is that Jesus says, if you are following me, if you know me, then you are called to join me in the harvest. And so what we have here in this section of Matthew is Jesus giving instructions to his people as he sends them out. These key leaders, he's about to send them out and he gives them key instructions. One thing we're going to see in this text is that Jesus does all the talking. Jesus gives all the instructions. In fact, he's given commands. Um, and so there's really three main verbs. We want to focus in on the things that it says that he does this morning, and that'll help us see what he's calling us to do. And so that first thing, it's pretty obvious in those first four verses, it says he calls the laborers. Jesus called to him his 12 disciples. Now, we've been talking about this every week, that Jesus calls us to follow him. He says, hey, come follow me. You know, in, in Matthew, uh, a little bit earlier in the book of Matthew, remember that the, the apostle Matthew is writing this book. So go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. This is a great passage. It says this, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So I always wonder if, if Matthew... In that moment, when Jesus said to him, hey, get up and leave your tax collecting behind, did he have any idea what that was going to involve? Because here we are some days later, Jesus now says to Matthew, hey, go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, heal the lepers. Matthew's like, wait, I, I didn't sign up for that. I don't know how to operate that machine. Or think about these others. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. All the way back to Matthew chapter 4. Flip back a few pages. This is one of those classic passages that you've probably heard before uh, that Jesus says in, in Matthew 4, verse 18. He's walking along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And it goes on and names a few others. Do you think they had any idea... When they dropped those nets and said, oh, okay, I'll follow this guy. Did they have any idea that some days later he was going to be saying to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons? I suspect that that never even crossed their mind. They had no idea that this is what it meant when Jesus said, come and follow me. You know, so when we look at this passage here in chapter 10, where it says he called to him his 12 disciples, I like to think back to those days when he first called them, but then to think about what's this telling us about these people that he's calling. He calls them to him and says, I'm about to send you out. Well, what can we observe about them? A couple things. Uh, you'll notice it says 12 disciples. He called to them his 12 disciples. But then in verse two, it says the names of the 12 apostles are these. So are they disciples or are they apostles? What, what's the deal here? Why are they called two different things? So disciple actually literally means learner or follower. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, he's saying, come be my disciple. Follow after me. Learn what I'm going to teach you. But then we also see that he says, but that also means that one day I'm going to send you out, which is what apostle means, the one who is sent. Jesus sends these people out to do his work. 
Now, the word apostle in the New Testament, uh, we find uh, here, it's, uh, we have the 12 apostles. And so we would call those the capital A apostles, right? These are the ones who are actually Jesus' 12 disciples who followed him around during his time on earth. And we call those the 12 apostles. But there were actually another group of people in the New Testament called apostles. Those were all those that saw with their own eyes the risen Jesus. And so we know from the Gospels that roughly 500 people probably witnessed the risen Jesus after he came back from the grave. And so those are called apostles also. And we would call those the little a apostles, okay? Uh, so there were the 12 apostles and then there were all these other apostles who witnessed the risen Christ. But why do we call all those other people apostles? It's because apostle means the one who's sent. And if you see Jesus and you know Jesus, don't miss it this morning, then you are sent out to be a laborer in his harvest. So the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, so it's that list of names. But that's what I also love about this passage. Did you catch that? He lists off their names. He knows them by name. He knows the names of the people who follow him. So let's just look at those names uh, for a little bit. Those first four, what does it say? The names of the 12 apostles are these. Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So you got two sets of brothers. Two sets of brothers. They're fishermen. They're not, uh, fishermen were not known to be the, the most intelligent class of people in those days. Uh, now, now we live here in Louisiana, so the fishermen here are a lot different, right? We're highly intelligent, highly intelligent. But point is, he just called these common laborers to come and join him. There wasn't anything special about him. Peter, the first one. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, every time there's a list of all the apostles or all the disciples, Peter's always listed first. Now that gave rise to some interesting teaching in, in different branches of the church. But here's the, the reason. Peter was looked to as their leader. He was just kind of that natural leader guy. And what kind of person was he? If you read through the book of Matthew, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot, right? This fisherman makes a lot of mistakes. You come to the end of Jesus' life, it's Peter who denies him three times. Peter turns his back on Jesus in his hour of greatest need. And yet, here's Jesus saying, he's one of mine. I'm going to send him out to do my work. Let's go a little further down. What does it say here? Andrew's brother, Philip and Bartholomew. We don't know a lot about them. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Well, that's an interesting pair, isn't it? Thomas is this guy who's known throughout church history as the doubter. He doesn't believe things are true. He has questions. And he's paired up with a guy named Matthew, the tax collector. We've talked about this. Tax collectors are the lowest scumbags in those days of anyone that was on the face of the earth. They were looked at as equivalent uh, to, to the lowest of the low. They always talked about tax collectors and sinners as if they were synonyms. So you have them in the crowd. Keep going. Who's next? Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. We don't know much about them. Simon, the zealot or Simon, the Canaanian and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So you get to the end of the list and you're like, oh man, I got paired with Judas. Um, wouldn't want that, would you? So you got all these people who are imperfect. And Jesus says, these are the ones who I've chosen, who I said, I want them to come and follow me. And now I'm going to send them out to represent me and do my work. 
Do you notice that they're listed in pairs in there? There's Peter and uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, James and Thaddeus, Simon and Judas. It's no accident that Jesus sends them out two by two. He doesn't send us out to be on an island and do this work by ourselves. And so you look at how he's calling this group of people. Yes, they had great flaws. But when they depended on Jesus, think about what he was able to do through them. He changed the whole world. In fact, I would say that all of us sitting here in some way had our faith passed down to us through these 12 disciples. They accomplish great things for God. And so Jesus says, first of all, he's going to call the laborers. I would say this to you. If you've trusted him and you said, I believe that Jesus has saved me. I know him as my savior. If you've done that, then Jesus says, I'm calling you to be one of those laborers. What does he do next? Here's that next action verb. He sends them out. Verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out. Just stop right there. He sent them out. That's a short phrase. Uh, he sent them out. You know, this reminds me a little bit of, uh, uh, if you've ever worked with Reach Global Crisis Response and they've sent you out in a team to go clean up a yard or to paint a house or to, uh, put a roof on a house, whatever it might be. It's interesting. First, they call you all together in a group. Uh, and then usually it's Ernie Schutte over there who says, all right, now I'm going to give you your instructions. I'm going to tell you what to do. Gives you the instructions, and then once you've been told what to do, he says, all right, go do your jobs. He sends you out to finish the task for the day. Well, that's not just reach global, right? That's a lot of different occupations. You get called in to do the work, and then you're sent out to do what God asks you to do. But here's the question for you. That's a short phrase that says, Jesus sent them out. How did Jesus know that they were ready to go? At what point did he say, okay, they've been with me long enough now. I'm going to push them out. They've gotten enough training. I'm going to send them out. We don't really know how he knew that. In fact, if you read through the rest of the book of Matthew and some of the things they said and did, by our measurements, we would probably say they weren't ready. right? uh, Think about what Peter says, some of these things. He says, when Jesus tells him, hey, it's necessary for me to die, be crucified and dead and buried... And Peter pulls him aside and scolds him and says, no, 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 no. We don't talk like that, Jesus. Jesus has to rebuke him. So clearly he didn't understand how everything was going to work yet. So how did Jesus know they were ready? Or here's an even bigger question. How do you know if you're ready to be sent out to labor in the harvest? Are you ready to be sent out? You might say no. In fact, I would probably tell you, no, you're not. In fact, none of us are ever going to be completely ready. All right? You're never completely ready. But God says, go anyway. Um, I think about when I was a kid driving one of those grain carts. It was before it was satellite guided. Um, It was before it had air conditioning. It uh, It was before any of that modern technology came along. But my dad would put me out there on it and say, all right, here's the basics. Now go. And I'd be scared to death. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, made some mistakes along the way. But how do you think I learned and got better at it? He sent me out there. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. 
I think a lot of times Christians think, well, as soon as I learn a little more, as soon as I sit through another one-year Bible study, or as soon as I'm discipled by that mentor, then I'll be ready to go out and share my faith. As soon as I complete this training on evangelism. Those things are all good. We should pursue those things as believers. But I think Jesus says the moment you become his follower, you are called to enter in some way into that harvest. How many stories can you think of of new believers who are so excited about what they just learned about Jesus, they turn around and go and tell their friends? And then those people come to know Christ. God uses even the most spiritually immature to work in his fields because there's an excitement there. Multiply what Jesus is doing. This is so important. Jesus sends out these laborers because it multiplies what he was doing during his time on earth. That's his plan. You know, I've thought a lot of times, well, why didn't Jesus just come and do all the work for us? I mean, he could, right? He's God. Why didn't he just make an announcement to everybody and preach the whole gospel to everybody through like a loudspeaker that goes worldwide? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know why he didn't do that, but he's God and I'm not. But what I do know is what he's chosen to do instead. And he says, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to be my laborers because there's nothing as powerful as seeing a life that's transformed by the gospel, transformed by Jesus. So are you ready to go out? Are you ready to be sent out? I would say yes. From the moment you're saved, Jesus says, I want you to send you out to serve in the fields. Keep learning, keep keep receiving instruction by all means, but don't let that keep you from going right now. That brings us to the last thing, is that Jesus instructs these laborers. He doesn't send them out without telling them anything. He actually says, okay, I'm sending you out. Here's your instructions. Let's look at what he says. When he instructs these laborers, and so this, I mean, whenever you've had a job, right, I think uh, one of my daughters just started a job at a snowball stand. She had to go to work for multiple days so they could train her, give her instructions before they turned her loose. And so Jesus says, I'm going to instruct you. Do you have to know everything? No. Serve where you are. But he does give some instructions because he's sending out these 12 to do a very specific task. And we're going to see what he tells them to do is actually a little different than what he tells us to do today. And the first place we see that is who to reach. He says, let me instruct you on who you are to reach. What does he say? Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he tells them, go to this specific group of people. I want you only to go to the Jewish people right now and reveal to them this good news. Now, why is that? Well, again, this is a very specific mission at a very specific place in time. God is trying to announce to his people that the king is here. Remember, that's the message of Matthew. The king is here and he says, come and follow me. And so Jesus is inviting his own people first. He says, don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. You know, that's how we know this is a specific task that was given to them, but not necessarily to us. Because later in Matthew, uh, Jesus at the end of his life. In fact, these are the last words in the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 18 This is after Jesus was raised from the dead. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's pretty impressive. All authority in heaven and on earth 
What are you going to do with that authority, Jesus? This is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you know Jesus, he's given you instructions. And he's saying, with all the authority I have in me, I'm telling you to go and join me in this harvest. And he also says, go to all nations. But that's not what he tells his disciples right here. So what I love about this right here is it's that you can see Jesus is saying, go to this specific field at this specific time. And that's the field right now that's ripe for harvest for you. And so I would say the same thing for us. Spend some time thinking this week, which field am I in right now that's ripe for harvest? I mentioned this in our weekly newsletter that when it's harvest time on the farm, my brothers have to decide which field are we going to go harvest today? Because they have 15 fields. Well, you can't go do a little bit in 15 fields. You'll never finish any of them. You have to look around, see which one's ripe, which one's not too muddy, which one has the right condition of crop? Where's your equipment? They have to evaluate all those things to decide which field they're going to harvest. And so Jesus tells these disciples, here's who you need to reach. And I would encourage you this morning, listen to his voice and ask him, what field is it that's ripe for harvest right in your world right now? Who does he want you to reach right now with this good news? Who is God calling you to reach? Where is your field? And he also tells them what to say. Verse 7. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what? That's what Jesus said. Earlier in Matthew, he goes around proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So say what Jesus said. In other words, proclaim the good news to people. You will be my witnesses. What does a witness do in a courtroom? They tell the truth. You know, one of the things I love about baptism is all these folks who were baptized this morning did such a great job of sharing Sometimes a little more about how they came to know Jesus. And so when they share, when you never underestimate that, that your testimony is actually one of those tools that you can use to lead others to Jesus. We see the Apostle Paul doing that in the book of Acts. He repeats his story. He says, well, let me tell you about how I met Jesus. And he tells them what he was like before he met Jesus. He tells them how he met Jesus. And then he says, and look how different I am now. You have that story. If you know Jesus, he's changed you. And you can use that story to show others what he can do in their life as well. So what to say? Proclaim the good news. What to do? Verse 8, Jesus says, do what I do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Do what Jesus did. And what does Jesus do? He loves people and he cares for them. And then he's able to share this good news with him. And so he does that physically and spiritually. And so when you read that and you think, well, Jesus is sending me out. Can I do all those things that he just said his disciples were supposed to do? Let me say this. God is able to use you in any way and any place that he wants to. We can't decide how he wants to use you. He can do anything he wants to. But we also know that if you look at this, again, remember, Jesus is sending these disciples out at a very specific moment in time to do a very specific task. And in fact, you read through the book of Acts where there's a lot of these healings and things going on. It's uncommon. 
And it's uncommon for a reason because God does these signs to make a point to prove who he is. And oftentimes I think in scripture and throughout church history, we see that he does these signs in places where people have never heard of Jesus. And he says, this God, this Jesus is something different. And so remember, not every believer in the New Testament was given this kind of power. Or this kind of task. It's an uncommon task at a very specific point in time. But I think the point is this. Jesus says, I want you to be available to do whatever I ask you to do. And I'm going to make it possible for you to do whatever I ask you to do. Be available. What is he asking you to do in order to reach others? Remember, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up laborers. In other words, people who go out and work and do something. What is he asking you to do to draw other people to him? Represent Jesus to the world. A couple other things. Jesus instructs the laborers on how to survive. Verse 8, he says this, You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, no silver, no copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. In other words, Jesus says, don't depend on yourself to, to provide for yourself. You're going to have to depend on me to provide for you. And how does he do that? It's through his people. It's through his people. God provides for his workers through his people. See what we see over and over again in Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles. Is that generosity allows God's work to go forward. And that's exactly what happens to these disciples. They experience it firsthand. They go out without anything in their hands. And guess what? God provides for them. Generosity allows God's work to go forward. So there's two sides of that coin. One is when you go out, know that God's going to provide what you need. You have to depend on him in this harvest. But also know this. As his people, as his followers, keep your eyes open for ways and places that you can be generous to keep God's work going forward. Your support of missionaries, your support of this church, those are all examples of how generosity allows God's work to go forward. That's part of God's plan. So depend on him and depend on him in order to be generous. How to survive, you have to depend on him. And then the last thing we see in this passage is to realize the urgency. Look at those last two verses. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. See, what Jesus says here at the end of this is that there's judgment coming for those people who reject him. For the people who don't receive the king, who reject him, who are indifferent to him, he says there's a judgment that's coming. It's a topic we don't like to talk about, right? Jesus is all about love and happiness. But Jesus reminds us here that there's an urgency. The stakes are high. For any person who chooses to reject this message about Jesus, to reject this love from Jesus, sadly, eternal punishment awaits that person. 
And so from a believer's standpoint, Jesus says you need to realize the urgency. Go out, be a laborer in the harvest, share this good news. Tell them that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus has come. He's come to save you. And he calls us to go out and send these things out. Those three words, Jesus calls us, he sends us out, and he instructs us as we go out. So my question for you this morning is, are you listening? Are you listening to his call? Are you listening to his instructions? And then are you going as you're listening? See that top word and that bottom word, calls and instructs, those are verbal. But the middle one is action. So listen to him as you go. And he says, I want to use you to draw many, many people to me. So I remember you heard the testimonies of some of these folks in the, in the baptism this morning. I want to share with you just really briefly how I came to know Christ. Um, I remember I was probably four years old when I was a field that was ripe for harvest. And guess who the worker, the laborer was? It was my older brother, Kurt. Okay. So I was sick one day. I think I had the stomach virus or something. And I still remember my family was there eating mashed potatoes and peas. I don't remember much else. I'm laying on the couch watching them eat, not feeling like eating much. And after dinner, my brother comes over to me and he says, Hey, uh, Marcus, you feel sick? I was like, yeah, I'm not eating dinner. And, uh, he says, do you think you might die? I was like, I don't know. I don't feel very good. And he said, well, if you die, do you want to go to heaven or hell? He's like, well, that's a no-brainer, Kurt. I'd like to go to heaven. He's like, well, do you know how to go to heaven? And this conversation went on something like that. And he, he explained to me that you can go to heaven if you trust Jesus as your Savior. But there's no other way. And I said, oh, I think I want to do that. And I did. Now, how much did I understand at that point? I don't know. But I still look back on that, remember that moment. And I think God did a work in my heart that day. When I trusted him with the simple faith of a child, my heart was ripe for harvest. And my older brother, Kurt, who was probably eight years old at the time, stepped in and shared with me. What field is Jesus sending you into today? Is it people who were affected by Hurricane Ida? Family members? Your neighbors? What field is he sending you into you know, one author I read this week said this, the work of salvation can only be accomplished by Jesus, but the witness to that salvation is accomplished by his followers. We heard all a little bit of that this morning, and I would just encourage you as you go out from here, remember the work that he's given you to do. Share that with others. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that is what we ask you for. We ask you for laborers to go out and gather in the harvest. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and then feet to take us where you want us to go, God. Pray that you would use us to bring in a powerful harvest in the days ahead. It's in the name of your precious, only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.